continue on in James chapter 1. Last week we went through verses 1 through 12, and we're going to finish that passage. That passage is split into two parts, uh, but we're going to finish the, the second half of that passage in verses 13 through 18. We're talking about temptation. Let's just do a quick overview of James and some themes that you'll notice as we walk through this each week. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He had a view on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that no one else did, and so he saw uh, a side of things that uh, not even the other apostles or disciples were able to see. And so for us, this is a big deal to be able to study what he tells us and to know, wow, this is this is uh, God's word. This is um, not just God's word, but it's a perspective on it that is, is just unique. And so what you'll see in primarily chapter one is trials and temptations. It's kind of one um, one theme grouped together. You also see wisdom and speech. They're kind of paired together throughout the five chapters of James. And then you'll see a discussion later on, primarily in the uh, fourth and fifth chapter, about wealth and poverty. But tonight, we're talking about temptation. So, what's your temptations? Many of you didn't come here tonight thinking we're going to be talking about temptation. You're probably not sitting there all day thinking about what tempts you or, or what you're tempted by, but we're going to jump in, um, and we're going to find out, uh, maybe, as God speaks to each one of us tonight, what we really struggle with. Because ultimately, when you talk about temptation, you're talking about what your desires are, and you're talking about what satisfies you. And for most of us, temptation is the gap between our desires and our satisfaction. It's knowing we want something that we don't currently have, and when we can get that, then everything will be all right. But in the meantime, we're tempted by that very thing. We want the fulfillment of that thing. And so the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they had been, if you remember in Acts chapter 8, they had been scattered by persecution. And so many of them were day laborers. They had placed their faith in Jesus, but all they knew was their Jewish faith. And they're scattered all throughout the region. And James is writing this book to them, this letter to them to encourage them. And, and so he talked about the trials that they were experiencing. That was obvious. We know that from the context. Um, but now he's talking about temptation. And you don't normally think like, okay, you're scattered by persecution. I bet you're really dealing with temptation. Yeah, that's the kind who really feels tempted is those who, who's being persecuted. But it's not so much the specific temptations that they might have experienced as much as the fact that they're in a state of mind right now that is conducive to weakness and giving in to temptation. So for some of us, we don't come in here tonight thinking, oh yeah, I've been thinking about my temptations all day long. But maybe you're in a place... Maybe you're in a state of mind where you're exhausted, or you feel weak, or maybe you're just apathetic. Uh, that's who the devil loves to prey on. He loves to get you in a place where you're isolated, uh, where you feel beat down, or where you feel like you're kind of far from God in your communion with him, and just exhausted. Is that where you're at tonight? Uh, for some, maybe this is reactive. You've been in temptation lately, and you're going to see, okay, this is how we deal with it. For others, this is proactive in saying, now, I know it's coming. Uh, I just didn't know I was in such a state that I was vulnerable to it as I am tonight. Maybe that's what God's going to reveal to you. And so what James does is encourages them to let them know you're scattered throughout. Many of you are finding jobs for the first time in years. You've lost your home, your job, your family, everything to follow Jesus. And I want you to know you're going to be tempted to give up, to just bail, to say, why are we even doing this? Maybe that's you tonight. And what he's saying ultimately is we live on purpose, right? And we have a greater power, the Holy Spirit, and we're working towards a better prize than anything the world knows or can offer to us. 
And so the hope and the encouragement in the gospel tonight is that we, through the death and resurrection of Jesus and through the power of his spirit, can be overcomers. And we know temptation is going to come our way, uh, but we're living for something greater. So we're going to keep our eyes on that prize. So let's jump on in. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in verse 13. And 14 to kick things off. Remember, we're walking through this in the NLT, the New Living Translation, but I'll be referencing other translations as we go along. And he says in verse 13, And remember, so he just talked about all the trials that they had experienced, but then said, you're going to be blessed if you make it through trial and temptation. And he switches the passage to talk about temptation. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. First thing we see is the seed of temptation. The seed of temptation is ourselves, our own hearts. We're walking back through this. He says, and remember. So that means you're going to need to remember because you're going to be tempted, right? There's going to be times where you're going to forget what this is all about. When you're being tempted, so again, not if, but when. We know temptation in and of itself isn't necessarily a sin, right? Jesus was tempted, but what we choose to do out of that is, is the decision uh, as to whether we're going to sin or not. So we're all being tempted. It's not a matter of if, but when. And here's your response. Do not say. So don't say. Here's a command. Don't say, because I know how you are when you get tempted. He knows how they are. He knows his own heart. Do not say, God is tempting me. Don't blame anybody. You know, we love to blame Right? Just like Adam and Eve, Adam sins. He says, the woman made me do it. We, we love when bad things happen to us. I'm going to blame somebody else. Don't say God is tempting me. Because here are two very important theological truths. What are they? God is never tempted to do wrong. Number two, and he never tempts anyone else. Why? Why doesn't God tempt people? And why is he never tempted? Because... He's self-sufficient. He's got everything he needs. He's God. So there's nothing that could tempt him. He's incapable of doing evil because all that God does is good. So when you have this theological understanding that, that, that there's nothing outside of God, there's nothing that exists outside of God that he needs, he's self-sufficient, then there's nothing that can tempt him. There's nothing that can tempt him. He won't be mocked. He can't be tempted either. And then why doesn't he tempt us? Because ultimately, everything we truly need, he offers us. He gives to us. And it's good. You see, temptation isn't necessarily a sin, but there's always a negative connotation to it, right? Like, no one thinks of temptation and thinks, like, oh, good. Like, oh, I got a temptation for you. Oh, that sounds amazing. Let's go jump into that. Like, no one's thinking positively about temptation. Why? Because temptation takes you away from the things of God in general, not to the things of God. So God, because he's self-sufficient, he doesn't need to be tempted, but he doesn't tempt us. But what does? This is the seed of temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. It's like they're on the street corner saying, come on, come over here. Remember when we were in Jamaica on our honeymoon, Tara and I, we went out of the resort for a little bit, and we thought we were just going to kind of meander around, look around, but everywhere we went, they were coming out of the shops, come on, come over here, come out here, come over here. Strangers, people don't know, here, let me take this, buy this, buy this. I want to sell something to you. 
your own desires, like they wage war in your heart. You ever feel that? You ever feel that in your mind? You just feel that internal struggle all the time? You often feel guilt because you're like, man, like if people even knew what I was going through inside, I haven't even sinned yet, but I feel like I'm just dirty and nasty just feeling this. But it's our own desires. They entice us and they drag us away. This is the seed. This is the root. There's no blaming. Say, so shouldn't we blame Satan? Yeah, we should. But he's just preying on what's already inside of us. You see, trials, we talked about that last week, trials often happen to you. Temptation happens in and through you. This is something that comes from within. So Satan sees that. He knows that. There's specific temptations to each person in this room based on the desires that we have. He'll prey on that. He'll prey on your personality. He'll prey on the things that he knows you want. That's different for each person. He'll try to fan into flame what's already a seed in your own heart. I think a lot of times the issue is if you're blaming Satan all the time, you're never taking responsibility for anything. I mean, think about even just the culture that we live in, the country that we live in. We have embraced wholeheartedly the victim mentality, haven't we? You've done something to me. You've harmed me. These things have happened to me. I mean, you go through any kind of marriage counseling, and you know pretty quick in most counseling sessions, well, you did this. No, you did this. Everyone's blaming each other. You think, man, if we could just stop for just a second and say, we've been hurt, and we've hurt each other. But let's take some responsibility, and then we can actually move on. But see, Satan loves it when you blame him but don't take responsibility for even your own temptations. Because when you're focused on blaming him, you're not focused on moving forward. You're not even focused on getting out of the temptation. You're just going to stay there. And he's got you in bondage. He says, yeah, you stay a victim. I've hurt you, haven't I? Yep, it's all everybody else. It's not you. You're not the problem. You are just perfect. You never screwed up. How could anything bad be in your heart? Several months ago, Tara and I went to a hotel. We just had a free night. We didn't know what to do. So we went to a nearby town, and we were gonna, it was a use it or lose it kind of deal for the hotel points. And we stayed in this hotel, and the next morning woke up and went down to get the breakfast and they had all kinds of stuff out there and we're like man this is a pretty good spread this is nice and if you've been at hotels before you kind of know the quality of food and so you judge it based on what you've had before and i saw these sausages and i thought oh good you know sometimes they skimp out you know they like either give you like little wimpy pieces of bacon or they just don't have any meat at all you're like yeah eggs and some hash browns don't equal two non-meats does not equal a meat you got to put a meat in there but they try to do it to you sometimes but We've also had sometimes where, like, the sausage just nasty. Like, you ever, you ever had, like, some of that meat where you're like, man, if I wasn't in America, I, I would say there's, like, like, this is goat meat. Like, this is nasty. But I'm in America, so I'm just going to say this is disgusting. But, man, I don't know what's in this, but it's just nasty. You've had that sausage before. I saw the sausage there, and it had, like, the perfect grill marks, and it looked good. And I was like, well, I'm going to load up on this. So I got that. I got some other things. And Tara and Silas and I were just eating everything's good, and the sausage was good. Like, it tasted 
like it had that had that um, like all those little you know grill marks on it, and it had that delicious sausage flavor, all the stuff that we love when we think of sausage. And at the very end, I told Tara, I was like, "Man, the sausage is pretty good. You want some?" And she kind of chuckled and she said, "No, I don't know why you're eating that. What are you talking about? It's like it's vegetables." vegetable sausage i looked over and it was veggie sausages it was like tofu and i was like you got to be kidding me all of a sudden the taste wasn't so good i still had a little bit on my plate and i was like oh my gosh what is in this i thought it was extra soft man i was just hoping there wouldn't be bone in it now i'm just wondering what i put in my stomach this is nasty Tofu, this is gross. I think that's what we do when we think about our own heart and our own desires and we look at everyone else's and we start thinking, well, I know what evil looks like. I've seen and I've watched the news and I know what the other people in the church are doing and I know what my heart used to be like. And, and, and so we start to then look at ourselves and think, you know what, what's really going on inside? Tastes pretty good to me. I think it's okay. It's probably good. It's probably good. And then we dig into the word of God and we realize Jeremiah 17 says, above all else, the heart is deceitful. It is a liar. It will lie to you. We don't look to ourselves for the condition of our own hearts. We look to God's word and we see clearly, he says, your heart is wicked. Don't follow your heart. You can't trust your heart. So when you think about the temptations and the things that are happening in your life, This isn't a matter of just blaming the devil. This is a matter of looking in the mirror and saying, what do you really desire? What's happening in here? There are seeds in here that are not healthy. And in Christ, we can be made a new creation with a new heart, Ezekiel 36 promises. That's part of the new covenant, a heart that desires God, that wants the things of God. But each day you get to wake up and decide, am I going to fan into flame this old nasty heart or the new heart that God has given me? And so you got to understand the seed of temptation. It's not God. God is good. It's ourselves. And in that, we take responsibility and say, okay, the things I've been tempted by, they're not just external circumstances happening to little old poor Ryan. No, it's happening in here. And the stuff out there is just preying on it. It's just preying on it. Verse 15. These desires... So in your own heart, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The second thing we see, there's a seed of temptation. Now there's the soil of temptation. So this is the environment that's conducive to the sin growing up. It says these desires give birth to sinful actions. So there's this imagery of childbirth. Like this is something that deep down in your heart, you're thinking to yourself, okay, This desire, I got a desire in my heart, and it's going to bring me pleasure. Yeah, if I can just get this thing, if I can just get that girl, if I can just get that house, if I can just get that better job, whatever I'm desiring, it's going to solve my problems. You ever thought that? If I could just get to that next step in life, if I could just get that thing, if I could get that person, if I could get out of debt, if I could just move, that would fix things. I would fix things. So James is saying, you've got those desires. They're going to give birth to something. 
But what he gives birth to is sin. So this is where the sin comes in. The temptation isn't necessarily the sin. This is where the sin comes, where you act on the temptation and you say, okay, I've got a desire and I want satisfaction and I'm going to let myself be led away. It's going to entice me. It's going to drag me away. Just like getting out there in the ocean. We saw an article last night um, uh, off of the beach in North Carolina, an eight-year-old. Had a big old picture of him. He was on the Weather Channel. Had a picture of him on a huge inflated like flamingo out in the middle of the ocean. And the mom had a 911 call, and they were recorded it. And, and so we were listening, and it said, my son, he's out in the middle of the ocean. He's on this inflatable, and he doesn't have a life vest, and he doesn't have a little floaties, and he can't swim. And then she freaks out. And what do they do? Well, they go out there, and they rescue the boy. But I turned around, and I asked Tara, I was like, okay, if he was on a flamingo, an inflatable flamingo, the big old flamingo, but he ain't got no life vest, he ain't got no floaties, and he can't swim, where were they wanting him to be that was safe? Like, if you put him in the ocean, it's too far. (laughs) It's bad news. You can't even let it go just a little bit. And But that's part of the deceit of temptation. We say, well, I'm not going to go all the way. I know I'm married, so I'm not going to commit adultery, but if, I mean, I work with her, so if I just talk to her, it ain't the end of the world. And yeah, she talks to me about things going on in her house, but it's not like I got her phone number. We don't talk outside of work. And so just slowly, 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 it starts taking you. We're not buying a new house. I mean, we're content with the house we have, Right? So we, we, don't, we don't need anything. I know the market right now is hot. So technically, if we sold our house in Salina, we'd probably sell it quick, and we'd make more money than we could at any other time, right? Market's good. Yeah, but we're going to just keep clicking on Zillow. Now, I'm, I'm not buying anything. I'm just looking because I want to analyze the market. And before you know it, you found that house you want. And now you're going to look at that house you want. Now, you still can't afford that house you want, but you're going to buy that house. You see how one little step leads to another step, and we all know it in our own minds and hearts that if we let ourselves go down that path, we know that that temptation, well, it's not sin, so I can just hang out in it. But sin comes quick. It gives birth to sin, and sin grows up. And so let me ask you, are you letting the sin grow up in your heart? Are you letting it grow up? you got to be careful. You get yourself into trouble. You say, but I can't. I mean, when we talk about environments, I can't perfectly avoid temptation. Right, we know that. Part of the Lord's prayer is, God, don't lead me into temptation. We're praying that God wouldn't lead us there, not that he would tempt us, but that he wouldn't lead us. Like, temptation's everywhere. But you can do a couple things. Number one, you can make sure that you avoid an environment conducive to it. So if you know you struggle with porn, and you're going to give yourself as a single dude or gal a few hours each night to just hang out by yourself with Wi-Fi and a computer, that's an environment conducive to that sin. You need to get a hobby with someone else outside of the house. Maybe you need to nix the Wi-Fi. I can't nix the Wi-Fi. It's 2019. Yeah, it is 2019. They got Wi-Fi at McDonald's, Wendy's, everywhere else. You can go find somewhere else to get on the Wi-Fi. There's sacrifices. This ain't easy. Getting out of, of temptation isn't easy. 
It costs you something, but the cost is far less than the cost of letting the sin grow. What do they say about sin? It always takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you are willing to pay. James says, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Some of us, the deceit we have is that the temptation, the things we're dabbling in right now, that we know, I got some discontentment, it ain't going to kill me. James is like, I want to remind you tonight, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. If by very nature the temptation is something apart from contentment in Christ, then it's just going to pull you further and further and further away. It's not going to shoot back and say, you know what, you know what, we, uh, you, you walked in this temptation long enough, we're going to go back to Jesus now. The temptation ain't going to lead you that way. You got to get out. So make sure you don't have an environment conducive. And even when you do, you say, well, I still work with that person. Or I still got to drive by that house that I see on the market. Listen, you, you, you can do something else. And that's the second thing. You can make sure that you don't entertain that temptation. That's part of the soil. Part of that soil, that environment, is making sure that you're not entertaining thoughts. So you can't always control what's popping into your head, right? But we know you can control what's in your head and how you're going to entertain it. So it can enter in the house, but you can tell it whether it's welcome or not. Second Corinthians 10.5, Paul talks about that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. For some of us, it's the dwelling. It's the meditating. It's letting something enter in, but not just enter in and then be nixed. It's entering in, and then it's just controlling our thoughts. We're letting it run roughshod. If I woke up knowing my wife, she don't like Taco Bell. And she's got supper planned the whole night, or the whole week. She's got, she's got a menu planned out. If I woke up tomorrow morning, and I told my wife, said, hey, I know you got supper planned tonight. Let's go to Taco Bell, though. She'd say, Taco Bell's gross. I'm not going to Taco Bell. Plus, we ain't spending money. It ain't in the budget. She'd have, like, all these reasons. I'd say, okay, just throwing it out there. I texted her about 10. I'm hungry. Taco Bell hungry. She'd be like, you're weird. Stop it. If I came home at noon, said, hey, this food's good at lunch, but I could eat some Taco Bell. What about you? She'd be like, knock it off. We're not doing it. But she'd have that smirk on her face like I could be talked into it. But I'm telling you, we're not doing it. Guess what? By the time I got home after work, she'd be at the door. She'd say, what took you so long? I thought we were going to Taco Bell. And I'd say, what happened to you? You see, what happens is you entertain something long enough in your mind, and you start to want it more and more and more. That desire is growing, growing, growing. And so you got to avoid environments conducive to temptation, but you also got to control the environment up here and make sure you can't always... Let, you can't always control what pops into the mind, but you control what you entertain. And when you entertain it, it's going to grow. And it's going to breed death. Verse 16 and 17, James says, you know, the seed of temptation, you know, the soil of temptation. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. So I know what you're thinking. He's coming back. He's like, I know this is about temptation. It's really about God. So let me get you back here. 
Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Third thing we see is the Savior of temptation. Not that we won't experience temptation, but simply that he'll provide a way out. It says, don't be misled, my brothers and my sisters. This is for all of us. It's not bias on gender. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. I want to reiterate to you, everything from God is by nature good. He's not giving you sinful things. Now, when they touch this earth and we taint them, or the devil wants to try to use them for evil, it's another thing. But coming from God, it's good. Namely, the best gifts would be his son Jesus, would be the Holy Spirit. We know these are good gifts that we have. It says that he never changes. So God, God isn't, he has no variations in and of himself. So you don't have to worry. So I know some of you are exhausted and you're thinking, I'm struggling with the same temptation over and over and over, and it's eating me up inside. And now, it wasn't a week ago, but now I'm starting to question, where's God? Where is God in all this? Why hasn't he bailed me out of this yet? And we're going to talk about getting bailed out in a second, but you've got to understand, God's saying, I haven't changed. This last phrase here, it is actually referring to the sun as the sun, as we move during the day and the sun casts shadows in different directions is saying, hey, you're looking up. Where's the sun? Sun's right there. Looking up. Hey, nope. Sun's over here. Looking up. Hey, nope. Sun's over here. And all of a sudden you see shadows changing as the day goes on. And he's saying, that's not God. You don't have to wonder. Maybe God's tempting me now. Maybe God isn't all good. Maybe like this thing in life is just kind of nasty. That's from God, right? And he's saying, no, you need to knock it off. God is good. God is good. He's all good. It doesn't change. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but that God is faithful. He'll provide a way out for you. So there's two important things. Number one, everything you've experienced all the temptation you've experienced is common. So you might feel like you're going through something no one else has ever gone through. I hear it from young dudes all the time. They come in, they're struggling with something, sexual immorality. They feel so isolated. They feel alone. They're like, man, I'm the only one in the church dealing with this. Yeah, just you and all 400 other people. Everybody's got issues. But the devil wants you to think you're the only one dealing with it. Because what these, these are common to man. And the other thing, God's faithful. He's going to provide a way out. He's going to provide a way out. Many people say, well, he won't give me more than I can handle, right? No, he won't give you more than he can handle. He can handle everything. You and I come to the end of our rope real quick in life. This is the joy of having Jesus. So let's talk about, just maybe, I'm just going to throw a few out here. I got to believe that these are going to be relevant for some of you. Just a few common temptations. Now, there's so many out there, lust and, and uh, gossip and slander and, and bitterness. There's, we're tempted in a zillion different ways, right? So this is not an exhaustive list. But when I think about our congregation, when I think about the demographics here, these are a few that I would guess many of us struggle with. Some common temptations that you and I might have. The first one is comfort. This is easy, right? 
Many of us, we fear things that cause discomfort. Our prayer meetings turn into prayers of, of safe travel and get better from this illness. The church is all across America. Now, you need to pray for those things. It's good to pray for those things. But it's obvious what consumes our minds by the things that we pray for. And sometimes we're so sick of, of or we're so scared of being sick, whether it be just the flu or something like cancer or something in between, because we think, well, that's going to shake up my world. That's going to change things. I'm not going to be comfortable. I don't want anything to change. I don't want to feel discomfort or our safety. We don't want to feel anything out of the ordinary. Some of us, we fear just hard work in the kingdom because we know if I go out there and share my faith, if I get out of my comfort zone and join a grow group, it's uncomfortable. Exactly. (laughs) Do it. It's good. That old saying rings true that God will comfort the afflicted but afflict the comfortable. He knows when you're uncomfortable, chance of you pressing into him is higher. Chance of you growing in him is better. This is one reason why our grow groups are intergenerational. People say, I want one that has like people my age. We don't. <laughs> we want one that you're going to be uncomfortable in because it's a grow group, not a comfort group. We want maturity in Christ. You can go have pie with anybody. Go look for someone your age, someone you might get on and go introduce yourself. You can make friends. But in terms of who you're going to grow with, people that are going to challenge you, people that are going to annoy you, people when you, five minutes before you get in their house, you're going to think, I do not want to see these people tonight. That's probably exactly who you need to see tonight. Here's, here's the scary thing about the temptation of comfort. Is it so subtle that when it reaches its full fulfillment, we don't know because nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So you could be living in this temptation right now and not know it because the very nature of it is that you wouldn't know it. (laughs) Does that make sense? The idea is that nothing changes. And God's saying, you need to be constantly active in your faith. Let me give you an example. This isn't, isn't me condemning anybody. This is just bringing to light a reality that maybe some might not think. So last Sunday in both services, I got up after the message, a good message. And we're talking about all these good things that can't save you, though. Only Jesus can save you. I mean, it was a good message. Andy did a good job. And afterwards, I said, okay, what's your step of faith? What's your next step of faith? We know it's impossible to please God without faith. And I said, write down on your connect card what your next step of faith is. Maybe we could help you with it as leaders. Maybe we could simply just pray for you, whatever it is. So we had about 350 people here. Some of those were kids. 350 people between the two services. Guess how many connect cards we got with your next steps of faith? Zero. Zero. What does that mean? That probably means one of a couple things. Number one, either I was terrible at my instruction, which could be the case. Maybe it was too complicated or something. Number two, that we heard that sermon and we didn't think that there was any kind of response. That we listened to lots of sermons and we don't think there's a response. Like at best, maybe this will make me think during the week. Yeah, maybe I'll remember what Andy said on Tuesday. That'd be a success, right? No, God wants you to respond. 
You're going to respond in, in acts of faith. You're going to take steps. We had a whole congregation listen to a great sermon, and I'm not saying no one acted in faith, but in terms of who's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm expecting to act in faith. And, and so I know God's going to have me do something. I'm going to scribble it down and throw it so our leaders know what's going on. Zero. I told you there's a reason why these things are relevant. The second one is a common temptation for most of us. Upgrades. The pursuit of better. Now, I'm guessing most of us experience this. Want a better job? Want a better house? Want a better spouse? Right? You, you and I struggle with the desire of just wanting more. We want more. You can ask yourself, what don't I have that I want? And if you start leaning in towards things other than your relationship with Christ, you might be under the temptation of upgrade. You see, when we talk about comfort, ultimately we know the way out that God gives from 1 Corinthians 10.13 is our calling, it's a commission to go make disciples. It's fighting against our comfort. For this one, though, for the upgrade, contentment in Christ is the way out. So now we can get super practical with your temptations and say, okay, here, here's, here's your way out, right? If you're not supposed to be with that person, you shouldn't be over at their house, then like just turning around and leaving would be a way out, right? But we're, we're talking even bigger than that. You've got to find contentment in Christ. So many of us switching jobs, switching houses, switching cities, switching careers, switching spouses. Do you know how many in the process of divorce we have just in our congregation? If you knew, you'd be sickened. And you see the same themes with just about every single couple. There's some roots of pain, and then there's some temptation that I could upgrade. This isn't that great being with them. I could have a better spouse. And early in marriage, when I was devoted to our vows, I just tried to make them better. But not taking personal responsibility... And I've seen that, well, it's not me that's the problem, and they're not getting better. I just need to get someone new. I need to upgrade. This is a temptation for you. Contentment in Christ is the answer. The third one, relief. Oh, the devil loves this one. This is the belief that your situation stinks. This has been tricking pastors for years. People will come to church and they'll say, I'm just going through a hard time and I'm seeking God. Pastors are like, you can get saved. This is amazing. And oftentimes they do. But I can't tell you how many folks I've baptized over the years. I thought I was broken. I was like, man, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this right. We're out. We'd baptize them and then I wouldn't see them. Like maybe again. I'm like, where are they going? They wanted that security, and they wanted to bail. What I'm saying is some of us believe our situations stink. Well, well, I'm going through a divorce. I'm a single mom. I'm going through a hard time. I don't have as much money as I used to. I need to make rent. So we come seeking God, but we're just seeking relief. So the second our circumstances get better, we bail on God because we never wanted God to begin with. We just wanted the gifts God could give.
Let me ask you, do you want God tonight? Knowing he is the treasure. He is the gift. Your circumstances, my circumstances, pale in comparison to what we have in him. Whatever you're overwhelmed by, he can overwhelm you by his goodness, by the treasure that is Christ. Those are the people who mature. Those are the people who grow. Who get overwhelmed by Jesus. Not just run from what overwhelms them to Jesus, but they get overwhelmed by Jesus. Do you want God or do you just want relief from your circumstances? One of them will fizzle out quick. The other one will be everlasting life. The perspective that we have in Christ, that's his way out. But you learn, man, it's not about relief. It's about God. It's about God. Last verse. Verse 18, he says, He chose, so God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Last thing we see is the shift in fighting temptation. The shift in fighting temptation. So he says a couple things. That God chose, so he knew you were going to be tempted. He knew we would struggle, but he chose to give birth to us. Spiritual birth, not just physical birth. He chose to save us by giving us his true word. Some translations just say the gospel. So it's not just the Bible, it's the good news of Jesus. So this is good news because there's a way out. There's a way out. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Some of your translations say that we were first fruits. First fruits. Say, what does that matter? It changes everything. Prized possession makes it just sound like, well, we were exalted above other things, other created things. True, but we are first fruits, born again. We have new life in Christ. So we have advantages in facing temptation and fighting temptation that other things don't. Other people who don't have Christ, they don't even have these things. You remember when Jesus was tempted? Matthew chapter 4, you can go back and read it. But it says a couple things. It says that he was led by the Spirit, beginning of his ministry. He was led by the Spirit out there in the wilderness. For 40 days, 40 nights. I asked you earlier, are you exhausted tonight? You see, we don't typically want to yell at our spouse or our kids when we're pumped and excited about life. But we want to when we're worn out. We can't handle it anymore. Jesus was tempted after he'd fasted for all this time. 40 days, 40 nights. But it says he was led by the Spirit. And then it says that he was dependent ultimately on the Word. What did he say to Satan after Satan tries to tempt him these three times? No, it's written that, it's written that, it's written that. This is how we fight temptation. Let me ask you, how have you been fighting temptation? Do you just roll over? You say, you know what? I've been struggling with this addiction for so long, I don't know what to do. I've tried going to church. I've tried... Um, even reading my Bible, I tried doing these things, and it, it's just not working. So you just roll over and you just let it happen. And I'm telling you, God wants to deliver you from some of this sin tonight, from all this sin tonight. How do you fight temptation? Do you ignore it? Well, you know what? I'm just going to pretend like it's not that bad. I'm not that wicked. It's not that bad. I still kind of have a relationship with Jesus. I'm coming here tonight. Doesn't that count for anything? I'm kind of still devoted, right? And you've learned to just... Ignore the temptation and the sin that comes with it and just live with it. How's that working out for you? You're probably miserable. How, how do you fight temptation? 
Well, I just get angry at myself. I mean, you told me earlier, right? The seed is in my heart. It's my own desires. So are you sitting in guilt and shame? The devil loves that. We know there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're a child of God, you can walk in freedom. But even Jesus, he's dependent on the Spirit and he's dependent on the Word of God. This is what we're dependent on. Do you, do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you talk to the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize that the war going on within probably didn't happen when you were not a believer? when it was just you giving in to your sinful desires. But now that you got the Holy Spirit, he's in there looking at your flesh and your desires and saying, I'm not going to take this laying down. I'm going to fight. That's why you feel turmoil like you do inside. Some say, I question whether I'm a believer. That's actually affirmation you got the Holy Spirit. should make you pumped up. The Spirit of God empowers you to do things that you couldn't have done before. So when he convicts you and says, no, and stop living like this. Stop giving in to this. Stop clicking on that. Stop calling her. Stop saying this about them. When the Spirit says this is wrong, the Spirit says, but I'll empower you to do anything I tell you we're going to do. That is joy. That is good news. That in Christ, we know what's right. And we have the power through the Spirit to do what's right. Do you know his word? Are you dependent on his word? So many times in temptation, the devil tricks you because you don't know, because I don't know, the word of God. You dig in and you know what God says about things. You know your identity in Christ. You're committed to it. Then when you have those thoughts, those accusations in your mind, saying you're not good enough, you screwed this up, he'll never forgive you. You say, no, no, no. I know I'm a sinner, but he'll forgive me. Hebrew says he died once for all. Million lies will enter into your mind. But if you know the truth, the word of God, you're set free from those. Let me just say this as we wrap this up. I don't know how you fight temptation. We're going to fight it led by the Spirit, devoted to his word. And we're not going to leave here tonight focused on the temptation, we're going to be focused on Jesus. We're going to be focused on Jesus. Because here's the bottom line. And I'll just I'll leave it with this. If the core of our temptation is a satisfaction issue, where are you finding your satisfaction? If you're looking outside of Jesus, you will stay tempted all day long. But if you believe what this says that we have all we need. We have immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Ephesians 1.19 in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Then you can have full satisfaction in Christ Jesus. You can have contentment in Christ Jesus. You can have new perspective, a new heart, new desires, and you can walk in a new life with a new spirit, and you can fan that into flame each day. We make mistakes. We all do. But there is grace. And if you're sitting there saying, I've made mistakes, I feel dirty. The blood of Jesus can clean you. It's the only thing that can clean you. There's grace for you. But you've got to turn to Him. And you've got to trust Him. So let's pray together. We have a few things.
as we pray through this scripture, as we close this out tonight. Just like last night, I want to lead you. As we think about these verses, as we teach each other how to pray through scripture, I'm just going to open this up and I'll speak and then I'll give 60, 90 seconds for you just to continue that prayer on that topic. And we'll just pray through the passage that we taught through tonight. So let's just take some time. Let's do that together. Father God, Lord, you know we come to you remembering that we have temptation. God, recognizing that it comes from our own heart, our own desire. So, Father, I just pray that you'd bring to mind to each one of us tonight things that maybe we're tempted by, places we're trying to find our satisfaction that are not Christ. And God, that you would just speak to us through your spirit what these things might be. Father, if we've blamed you, if we have not taken responsibility for the things in our own heart, God, I pray that we would just confess that sin to you. Father, where we've saw, where we've blamed you and, and questioned your goodness, God, we just turn from that. We recognize that you are good, that everything that's come from you is good, that you're not the one tempting us, God, but that you are pure and holy. And Father, I pray, God, we pray that if we are setting ourselves up for failure, God, if the soil of our heart and our lives are conducive, God, to um, temptation. If we're entertaining thoughts that that we need to make obedient, take them captive for Christ, God, I pray that you would just give us that strength. Just tell us, Lord, that you will strengthen us if we turn to you.
Father, we pray. Just thankfulness knowing that even though we've experienced that sin that leads to death, God, we've also tasted your goodness. If there's anyone here tonight that has not, I pray that they would. I pray that they would call out on the name of Jesus to save them tonight, that they would know they can have new life through faith in you, by your grace. They can have new spiritual life, everlasting life. God, as we turn from our sins together as a church, I pray that we would be focused on Jesus, that we wouldn't leave here worried about our temptation, feeling guilty about the things that we have done, but that we would that we would just know we are washed in the blood, that we can walk in freedom. For those of us who are exhausted and tired tonight, God, strengthen us, refresh our hearts. God, we exalt Jesus. We lift him high in our lives. We pray that this would be a launch pad for the rest of the week. So God, we love you. Turn our minds to you tonight when we get home. Help this to not fade away. Tomorrow when we wake up, help us to abide in you, led by your spirit, going deeper in your word. Help us to walk in Christ. God, we praise you and thank you and love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.